Kobe Bryant. back to the Counted Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Ahan, at Ahan Rungcha on Twitter. And as you can see in the title, we are on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Ahan host of Counted Podcast. We are officially doing episode one of the 2021 Fantasy Football Factory, because that is the only word that starts with F that I thought was appropriate. Essentially, every week around either Tuesday or Wednesday, I'll have a new guest on the podcast, and we will talk about the latest in fantasy football. Injuries, the worst part of it. We're going to talk about what you need to do to accommodate for those injuries. If it's your players, how do you make up for it? How do you spend your FAAB? How do you attack the waiver wire and the trade block? As we will get on with the series, the trade block will get spicier Week one, we got a lot to talk about. We got draft season. So we're going back to our old trustworthy for guest number one, Isaiah. For for those who are new, is we have new followers from fantasy football draft season. Introduce yourself again. Yeah. So I'm Isaiah. I'm an editor uh, and writer at Fantasy Pros. I mostly cover sports betting now, but I'm still editing most of our uh, content about fantasy football. And I have been playing fantasy football since I was a kid. So, yep. Yep. And, uh, the reigning champion of uh, of a league that we, we were in together last year. I'm a reigning champion in my home league, so we'll only mention those as the qualifications, but we've seen our fair share of struggles, and some of them start week one, so we're going to get right into how you accommodate for that and get into week two. But first off, draft season. So this is the, the only episode where we'll really get into what did we learn from draft season, uh, what were your surprises, you go into drafts thinking you will end up with some players, end up with others. What were your biggest takeaways from draft night? Isaiah, you're in eight leagues, right? You're seven and one through week one. I'm five and one. So, so far, we, we got only positivity from draft night. But, Isaiah, what were your biggest takeaways from draft night? Any players that you either had too little or too much exposure to? Yeah, so I decided to take Ezekiel Elliott in two leagues where I had an early first-round pick, which I thought was a great decision at the time, still do. But then Zach Martin was declared out, and uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have one of the best defensive lines uh, there is. So I benched Zeke in every league that I drafted him, despite taking him in the first round. And uh, I think I went 1-1 because I had him in two leagues. Uh, So that could have been a little better, could have been a little worse. but overall draft strategy, uh, I think I usually go zero running back because I'm weird. Um, I didn't have a chance to do that as much this year, which may be a little sad. The one zero RB team I did take, though, went pretty well because um, I got James Robinson and Damian Williams in it. So I'm pretty much fine at the position. I also got Amari Cooper and Tyree Kill, who we both know combined for 64 points and a half PPR. So easy money. And speaking of Amari Cooper, hey, I two leagues out of my five, I faced Amari Cooper Thursday night. I thought, all right, it's time for three and two. Here I am, four and one. I won one of those leagues. So fantasy football projections, you can look at them for entertainment value, but you're only going to hurt yourself if you're on the uh, the winning side of those projections. So another, another lesson uh, to be learned. Uh, draft, draft nights for me, you know, I was happy with most of my draft just because I – if you end up not happy with most of your drafts, 
there's something wrong because there's something wrong with your entire process because it doesn't have to mean that all your drafts end up being great. But if you don't believe in the players you draft, uh, maybe you were on auto draft or something. I don't know, but you should be happy with most of your drafts. And I was, um, I ended up with a lot of exposure to a couple players that, uh, you know, close friends of mine uh, know that, you know, it's unusual. I ended up with David Johnson in three uh, out of five of my leagues. The value was there and he was sitting on my bench in both those leagues, but I think the value is there. Uh, no scores, but he was serviceable as an RB3 question mark. In some leagues, if you played him at flex, that could have been a reasonable flex, an RB3 maybe for three RB leagues. I I liked what I saw out of David Johnson. I'm holding him now. I If he came out with two touchdowns, dropped a 25 spot, so much offense that the Texans had against the Jags. If he came out with two of those touchdowns, I'm selling high, obviously, but Right now, I'm holding on to him, and if I need an RB3, which I do have issues with in a couple of leagues, <coughs> James White, RB2, then uh, we go to him. But I ended up with a lot of exposure to uh, David Johnson and TJ Hawkinson, and TJ Hawkinson off to a hot start. Two touchdowns, am I selling high on him? No. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is going to be a target monster this year. Uh, we got a lot of talk about Amon St. Brown, who I, I'm a big fan of. A lot of talk about Tyrell Williams, and the the Lions will be playing behind a lot, which was uh, basically my thought process. The Lions will be playing from behind a lot. Jared Goff is not terrible. He is a downgrade over Matthew Stafford, but one of the reasons that they'll be playing behind a lot is because Jared Goff is a downgrade. TJ Hawkinson, the the number one talent in terms of targets, uh, PPR leagues, he's not going to let you down promise you. That's my own promise. And you can come back to this if he ends up being a bust. Uh, those are the two overexposures I had. I ended up with no shares of Austin Eckler, which was my biggest regret from draft night. Uh, league that you and I were in together, Isaiah, made a trade down from 5 to 12 because um, I, I already had Zeke in one league, didn't want overexposure to Zeke. And I traded down to 12 to get Austin Eckler, whose ADP in sleeper was 14 at the time. Got sniped on Austin Eckler, and that kind of ruined my plans. But Started started off hot in that league, so you got to adjust draft night and uh, come in come in with a plan for depth, draft for upside late, and I think I did that. Um, ba- basically, my takeaways from draft night. Uh, speaking of Austin Eckler, week one he scores the first Sunday touchdown. Uh, one of the many uncertain storylines. There's there's always uncertainty fantasy football every week, um, but we were expecting a little less uncertainty in some situations, such as Austin Eckler's health. Uh, a couple of days ago. I had people reach out to me and say, should I bench Austin Eckler? I had some of those people, I responded to them saying no. Um, and I had some of those people not take my advice and bench him <laughs> and lose because of the that bench. Um, it, you brought this upon yourself. You, um, you don't bench your first rounders unless they're Ezekiel Elliott facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, this was a Washington Chargers matchup that, you know, I picked Chargers money on the money line. Um, was right there, but there's there's Washington stuff to talk about as well. But uh, Austin Eckler is going to be. Um, they, they paid him for a reason. Uh, he's in a good offense, very good offense with Justin Herbert. If you're on the Justin Herbert NFL uh, MVP train, I don't have to explain that to you. Um, Austin Eckler comes in a little uncertain, but still gets 15 carries, three point yards per carry, and of course the one touchdown. Uh, the other one, Saquon Barkley. Uh, Isaiah, are you worried about Saquon Barkley? To me, he's not 100% on health. 
with that offensive line, are you already regretting if you drafted Saquon Barkley in the first round? Are you already regretting if you, if if the people drafted Saquon Barkley first round and maybe don't have insane depth at running back? Are you sad right now? Um, I mean, the way that you frame that hypothetical, absolutely yes. If you don't have depth at running back and you took Saquon in the first round, how can you not be worried for sure? Um, that said, I think that if you're drafting Saquon, you're taking him for upside. I still think that there's upside later in the season. I think he'll work his way back to full health. I mean, obviously you're hurting yourself for the first couple of games. I really, I think that the problem with the fantasy community is that it's sort of a hive mind really. And players will just get stuck in ADPs where they really don't belong. Saquon wasn't a top first round pick this year because of the health concerns, because he hasn't really done a ton over the last two years. It, it just didn't really make sense. I mean, I took him in like, I think the third round of a family league. Cause like no one wanted to touch him. I was like, all right, I guess I'll take him. Like, this guy shouldn't be here in the third. Um, and I'm fine with that pick because, like, it's a third-round guy. Like, you don't need him to be great every week. Um, but, yeah, if you took Saquon in the first and you didn't get depth at running back, um, that's tough. Yeah, and speaking of the Giants, uh, they're Giants wide receivers. Um, Kenny Galladay, I own him in one league. It talked about, so if you haven't read already, uh, Fantrax, uh, my link will be in the uh, description wrote an article on uh, the mock draft that we had. Well, for you guys, it's a mock. For us, it's for real. We're, we're playing in a real league, the Fantrax writers. So in that league, uh, I took Kenny Galladay and uh, explained uh, the value in, uh, I believe it was the uh, fourth or fifth round. Fourth round, I believe, in a 12-teamer. In a, in a um, there's value there. He is incredibly good um, when healthy. One of the best contested catches, uh, contested catch wide receivers uh, in the league. And uh, if you think Daniel Jones is a more uh, is a better thrower this year, there's value there. Um, did he get a ton of volume uh, this week? Um, not as much, maybe. He got six targets, but Sterling Shepard, uh, he's the top name. Comes out of the whole uh, wide receiver waiver wire situation. Uh, Sterling Shepard's disappointed a lot of people in the past, but Isaiah, what did you see from the Giants wide receivers? No Evan Engram, um, who. What 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 do we make of this situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold up on Sterling Shepard's disappointed a lot of people in the past. No, chill, 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 chill on that. Okay, <laughs> Sterling Shepard is an incredibly reliable PPR asset. Sure, he's gotten hurt in other seasons, but what receivers haven't? When he stays healthy, he's a fantastic asset, even with Daniel Jones at quarterback, because like a Jarvis Landry type, he doesn't need great quarterback play to succeed. Um, the main concern with him coming to the year is the fact that the Giants took Kadarius Tony in the second round, and they're basically the same player. But fortunately for Shepard, Kadarius has done jack shit so far. Uh, in the first game, Shepard got nine targets, seven receptions, and 113 yards against the Broncos, um, which is pretty impressive because the Broncos have a decently tough secondary. Um, Kadarius had two targets, two receptions, and negative two yards. So I'm not too worried about him right now. Um, obviously, people were also worried about Galladay popping off in this offense. I mean, I don't think that Galladay is this god-tier receiver. He doesn't get those like short-range passes that Shepard gets. He's very much in the same line as a Darius Slayton type, and they both had decent games against the Broncos. They both popped off for like 60-plus yards on a decent number of targets, but still Sterling Shepard's the best receiver in this offense. If you look at the beat reporters, he had a fantastic camp. Um, he was projected by a beat writer to have a great season, like a wide receiver, two wide receiver, three-level season. So like, especially if you're in PPR formats, if Shepard's on the waiver wire, your league doesn't know what it's doing. You should have been drafted, and he should have been on your roster after draft day. Like, 
This is not hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the disappointment mostly because I, I've been a Sterling Shepard believer in the past and maybe I reached like two rounds of ADP on him once and I'm, I'm holding a, I'm holding a grudge, but yeah, I'm, I'm following my, I'm, I'm not following my own advice of not holding grudges, which I've given out on stream. Before. One last note on Shepard though. So if you look at football outsiders, stuff that came out today, they're still releasing um, DVOA stuff is coming out later this afternoon. Uh, ideally, I think. Um, but one note from the uh, first slate of games, if you look at the top five receivers in, um, what is this, DR, so defensive adjusted yards over, or yards above uh, replacement, Shepard was wide receiver three. Jarvis Landry was wide receiver one. These, like, generic possession-type receivers who are getting these short yardage targets are pretty valuable in fantasy, and they're pretty valuable in real football, so you should be getting them on your roster. Yeah. And uh, speaking of wide receivers, uh, another team that – um, has had its issues at wide receiver recently, but one of the most intriguing situations in fantasy football this year, uh, the Patriots. Uh, we don't have to talk about how that game ended. Um, a little bit of an anomaly with, uh, you know, one of the best PVF, one of the best PFF graded running backs um, costing the game at the end. Mac Jones didn't get his W. It is what it is. But Mac Jones looked good in certain points of the game. Didn't start off great. Uh, costly sack slash fumble early on in the game little bit of nerves maybe started dotting up uh second half of the game um but for fantasy football you know most likely you're not you know mac jones is not your qb1 most leagues it's he's not the focus here is the running backs and the wide receivers um the biggest pass catcher of the day nelson Aguilar. if you read my fan tracks article i said the news of mac jones starting week one who does that help the most on the entire team i said nelson Aguilar. First game, he didn't even need a huge breakout play. He didn't need a 60-yard touchdown to succeed. Five receptions, seven targets, 72 yards, and the touchdown. Even without the touchdown, pretty serviceable performance. With the touchdown, great performance uh, from Nelson Aguilar, given you were probably getting him in double-digit rounds. Uh, James White, my RB2 um, in my home league, um, he outscored my first-rounder, Antonio Gibson. We'll talk about Antonio Gibson later, but... James White didn't need a touchdown and still put up decent numbers given where you got him in the draft. Six receptions. That's uh, that's the highlight I want to say. James White is going to get those receptions the way he used to get them with Brady. I'm not, I'm not saying that Mac Jones is Tom Brady. For fantasy football, you don't care for that. You care that James White and PPR gets value. The thing with Cam Newton is James White was open so often on five-yard, you know, on, on the checkdowns, on five-yard slants when the Patriots didn't have much talent at wide receiver. This year, the Patriots have more talent at wide receiver. The naive way of interpreting it is there's, there's, more, there's more mouths to feed. The correct way of interpreting it is the offense will move, higher chance that James White gets meaningful red zone touches. And, you know, the Damian Harris fumble, I'm not overreacting to it. He's still very good. If you thought that Damian Harris was going to be an RB1 right away, I can't help you with that. Josh McDaniels is the offensive coordinator for the Patriots. He's not going to feed his best players at, you know, when the best players should be fed. It is what it is. It's a fr it's frustrating. As a Patriots fan, it's frustrating as a fantasy owner. Uh, James White, Mr. Reliable. Um, you should be rostering James White. Uh, that, that goes without question. But you should consider in PPR leagues starting James White if you need help and if he gets a decent matchup. 
I'm not starting him against the Bucks, for example, because I don't like the chances that the Patriots score a lot against the Bucks. But against a matchup like the Dolphins, I had no problem starting him, and you shouldn't have either. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, he'll continue to eat, but if you need to sell a wide receiver high, now is the time to do it. The touchdowns are not going to always go to Nelson Aguilar. Hunter Henry, uh, Jonu Smith. I said in the article, this is, you know, neither of them are going to be consistent tight ends for you all season long. Should you stream them? Should you have both? Please, no, God, no. You shouldn't have both. I know somebody who does. You know who you are. I'm talking to you. Don't do that. Sell one of them. Uh, Hunter Henry, the issues, health always been there. There, there were questions. Will one of them even not play? The most certain situation about the Patriots' pass-catching situation is that nothing is certain. But James White, that's the biggest name you should keep in mind. Uh, speaking of more wide receivers, going back to Thursday Night Football, you mentioned uh, Amari, C.D. Lamb. There's another name out there who is pretty good as a player, Michael Gallup. He got hurt. So against the Bucks, a really good defense. I faced Amari Cooper in two leagues. It was very frustrating to watch PPR leagues. I thought maybe he's a little, you know, matchup prone. Matchup, no effect on him that night. Uh, what do we think about the uh, Dallas wide receivers going forward? Um, the the concept that CD yeah. Lamb is a better fantasy asset than Amari Cooper address that. Yeah, and then also Gallup. So Cooper had double digit targets in every game with Dak Prescott under center last year. I thought Cooper had a high floor coming into this year. I have him in a couple of leagues. Um, obviously, I think CD probably has more upside just because he was a rookie last year. We don't know exactly how high his ceiling is yet. Um, but Cooper's a fantastic high-floor asset, which is weird to say about Amari Cooper given his tendency to just completely disappear in games. But he didn't do that at all with Dak Prescott under center last year. So we might be entering a new era for Amari Cooper where he actually lives up to the hype and doesn't just fade completely from games. So game one, he had 16 targets, 13 receptions, 139 yards, and two touchdowns, which is fantastic. Um, I think that you can trust him for double-digit targets most week, especially if the Cowboys continue to either uh, play from behind or like their defense continues to give up points, which really doesn't show any signs of stopping there. Um, obviously, that probably hurts Zeke a bit if they uh, can't get their act together uh, on defense. But I think Cooper's a fantastic uh, PPR, half-PPR asset. I think uh, C.D. Lamb's another fantastic asset. On um, the injury to Gallup, uh, probably puts like Dalton Schultz uh, in the conversation here um, as the next man up uh, in the pecking order. I'm not really huge on what is it, Cedric Wilson? Yeah, but yeah, I'm not really huge on him. He looked decent on Thursday, but I'd rather have Schultz. Yeah, and uh, you know, as uh, as we continue the the whole wide receiver discussion, uh, another team where wide receivers were the main storyline. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, there's something I've always said about people who drop passes. You know, I, I said this about DK Metcalf since the beginning of his career. If drop catches are the only reason, drop catches, especially in preseason, are the only reason you avoid a wide receiver uh, in drafts, uh, it's time to change your philosophy. Um, and as Joe Burrow said in the press conference, I thought he was dropping everything. Jamar Chase didn't drop anything. So, what uh, what what's the outlook? What's the correct outlook? Uh, what's the correct uh, take home message from the Cincinnati game uh, where they beat the Vikings in overtime? 
Yeah, so the Bengals game is really weird to me because you had the Bengals who ranked 30th in adjusted line yards on offense last year against the Vikings who ranked 32nd in adjusted line yards on defense last year. So that led to Joe Mixon running for 100-plus yards. If you look at Ben Baldwin's tweet from today, I think he said that uh, the Bengals uh, ran way more ex than expected, which is really weird because all they were doing last year was chucking it around with Joe Burrow. Uh, they were one of the pass-heaviest teams last year. So this seems like maybe it's an adjustment by Zach Taylor uh, that was based on the matchup, given Minnesota's shoddy run defense. I really don't know how we can evaluate this game. Um, I think it's an outlier. I think that Minnesota's awful defensive line play led Taylor to make some adjustments that uh, I mean we really don't know what this Bengals passing game is going to look like. Obviously, one of the under uh, one of the stories that you didn't mention was that Tyler Boyd significantly underperformed in week one. He was been one of the most consistent PPR assets out of the slot, but the dude caught like, I don't remember exactly how many, like three or four catches on hardly any targets, maybe exactly four. Um, so takeaways from this game, number one, don't read too much into it. Number two, um, sell high on Joe Mixon if you can. Number three, um, let's see how things play out. Cause you're right. Jamar Chase looked awful in the preseason and then he looks great in the first game. Maybe that's because Minnesota's secondary also is bad. I'm pretty sure if you look at um, Jamar Chase's 50-yard touchdown reception, he was lined up against Bashad Breland. Breland ran a 15th percentile 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. The dude is slow. Like, if Jamar Chase can't burn Breland, then obviously he was not worth the fifth overall pick. Right. So, really, don't read too much in this Bengals game. The Vikings are just bad like this is not something that you can really put too much stock in and as as, as somebody who uh, suggested a light lean on bengal's uh, money line to many of you uh you're welcome and that's that's all that matters for bengal's money line betters um speaking of wide receivers um and you know i i think this goes understated how frustrating of, this, of a situation this is going to be the 49ers are really good but really frustrating for fantasy football owners. And going into drafts, um, I preached this before, if if you're going to live and die off of one 49ers player, um, you're in for maybe a high ceiling, maybe a low floor every week. And right now it starts with uh, Brandon Ayuk. And the headline that maybe he is, quote, still learning to be a pro. The top comments on this, why couldn't you have told me this before fantasy football drafts? Uh, the big guy coming out of this game, Debo Samuel. Uh, for those of you who are in my Waffle House League where we each claim a team, I was facing the 49ers this week. What That was such a roller coaster. Brandon Ayuk with zero and Debo Samuel getting all the targets. They spread the wealth? Not really. So what is the correct takeaway from the 49ers wide receivers? And does the injury to Raheem Mostert uh, change the way you attack this entire team. And, oh, by the way, Trey Lance eating up a touchdown as well. Yeah, so I think the bigger question is the other Lance. What's going on with Trey Sermon, especially with Mostert hurt now? Like, uh, obviously, Eli Mitchell looked fantastic. Um, the six-round, the rookie six-rounder seems to have outperformed the rookie third-rounder uh, as far as Kyle Shanahan's uh, metrics go. Um, so I really, again, I think this is a little bit like the Bengals game. I don't know how much stock you can put in this. The lines are bad. Um, the 49ers were up huge for most of the game. So who knows exactly how this workload distribution is going to play out. Um, overall, I think that you have to wait for Ayuk to get healthy before you can really make a call. Honestly, I think the smartest thing to do right now is to sell high on Debo. 
See if you can get people to be like, oh, Debo is the wide receiver one in San Francisco. Uh, see what you can get for him. Uh, it's a little early to start selling high on a player, but like, I don't know if Debo has a game this good the rest of the year. Hey, you, you say it's too early, but I'm in a league, and some of you are probably probably listening to this right now. I'm in a league where the the entire league is weeks one to six, and we start and we redraft in six seven. So our trade deadline is week three, so it's never too high, uh, oh. never too early for me to think about who to sell high on or or buy low on. Uh, currently on the 49ers depth chart at running back, officially listed uh, Elijah Mitchell number one, Jamichael Hasty number two, and Trey Sermon uh, number three. And oh, by the way, if Jeff Wilson truthers, uh, you know, Jeff Wilson truthers, once he comes back, you have content again. And this is, won't be the last time we talk about the 49ers um, in this in this podcast series. Um, you, you can bet that. Um, right. Is last, it cool if I, if it's yeah. cool if I just start talking about the Lions, dude? Because I need to yeah. talk about the Lions. Yeah. I've been the, dying to talk about the Lions for the last, how long has it been? Half hour. I, I know that, which is why, which is why I saved it for the end. Uh, first off, um, if if you've been reading the uh, the, the the rumors about DeAndre Swift, you know I won't go into detail right now what what they are, but you can look on them. This is unclaimed stuff about DeAndre Swift possibly involved in a very serious legal case. Um, uh, what you interpret from that, um, each each and every one of you may have a different interpretation on how legal matters work. Um, there are, and you know, I'm I'm with a uh, soon-to-be uh, lawyer, right, <laughs> Isaiah, and uh, you you can maybe either choose to address this or not address this, but when, yeah, so the as a law with student, fantasy football is as a law student, I will not address this. Thank you. The reason why I want to talk about the Lions has absolutely nothing to do with any pending legal matters, and that's not like sarcastic. That's genuine. Right. Like I have yeah. no idea what's going on here. Um. What I do know what's going on here is that Jamal Williams is really, really good. Um, so I made sure to get him in a bunch of drafts this season. Uh, I thought the fact that he got he had gone to the Lions made it pretty clear that Detroit was looking at making uh, more of a, taking more of a committee approach with uh, Swift. Um, so if you look at the workload distribution, uh, Jamal Williams had nine carries, six yards per carry, so 54 total yards, uh, and he got a touchdown. Uh, he had nine targets and eight receptions. Uh, DeAndre Swift outworked him. He had 11 carries for 3.5 yards per carry. So that I can't do math. I'm not going to try. Um, and he also had 11 targets. Uh, he caught eight of them. So I think this is a pretty even split. Obviously Swift is still working back from an injury. I don't know if it'll end up being as even the rest of the year. I don't know if it'll be as even when the Detroit Lions aren't playing from behind, but I also don't know how often the Detroit Lions won't be playing from behind. So let's put that in perspective. Um, so the key takeaway with Jamal Williams is that he is one of the most efficient players in the NFL. He was great with the Packers last year. There's a reason why he kept Aaron Jones off the field so often. Um, if you look at football outsiders as efficiency data, Jamal Williams actually ranked number one in BR total at the running back position. So that counts both receiving yards and rushing yards. He was the RB one in terms of uh, DR, which is fantastic. Um, for some perspective, David Montgomery was number two. Christian McCaffrey, number three, Nick Chubb, number four, Kareem Hunt, number five, and you have Jamal Williams leading them all at number one. So that's a big sign that Jamal Williams is a little bit more efficient than you might think, especially given the fact that Detroit's offensive line, well, I mean, to be fair, DR does adjust for things like that. But if you're having a great fantasy day behind that offensive line, something's up. Um, it's also worth noting that he was the RB3 and just rushing-based uh, DR. Uh, actually, wait, is that receiving or rushing? It was receiving uh, and purely receiving-based DR. So I am a big fan of uh, Jamal Williams this year. I think that he can 
uh, provide some flex value. I think he's sort of like a Kareem Hunt type uh, value-wise. Um, obviously, like Kareem Hunt, he has a, sh a bunch of upside if anything happens to the guy in front of him. Um, so, yeah, I think Jamal Williams is one of the best assets that you can grab, hopefully off the waiver wire. And if not, you should try. Actually, I don't know if you should try to trade for him because you're probably not going to be able to get a good deal. Um, really yeah, depends right on how the Jamal Williams drafter feels about him. If the Jamal Williams drafter is like, who's this guy on my bench who just popped off? Then maybe you can get a decent deal here. Um, but if they have their shit together, which drafting Jamal Williams would indicate, uh, then who knows? Yeah, it, it, I, I would like to note it is the first time in my history of playing uh, fantasy football that I drafted a Detroit running back. Just putting that out there, yeah. there's a reason for it. Um, and I, I, I put in offers, you know, when uh, for Jamal Williams in leagues that I don't have him um, when I saw some stuff on Twitter, but. You know, that's that's a separate conversation. Yep. Lions-related uh, question from the chat from AFG Bama. I got a Hawkinson and Swift in a PPR league. Should I be scared to start both every week? And to me, the answer is clearly no. First of all, they're, they're probably the top two assets on the Lions. I can't think of any argument against, you know, total-wise, not value-wise, against value-wise, we love Jamal Williams. But, you know, total amalgamate, Whatever the word is, God damn it! Uh, whatever the word is, <laughs> you're doing your best. Total, total, total value wise, Hawkinson and Swift are the two best assets on that team, and they will get you fantasy points if, like we think, they're going to be playing behind that often. In PPR, if they're going to be playing behind, Hawkinson's going to get targets, and you know Swift is good when he's playing. Uh, so I wouldn't be scared at all. You, you got any other takes on that? Yeah, that's actually a pretty good team. Um, now, if like they were your first and second round picks, obviously you're in trouble, but they definitely weren't. Um, so I think that's a pretty solid uh, roster. I wouldn't be worried about stacking those uh, assets in Detroit, especially because they kind of play off each other. If Detroit does get ahead, chances are they're going to be giving Swift some carries. And if Detroit is playing from behind, chances are Hawkinson's going to get a lot of catches. Um, same with Swift. So I think you're really fine no matter what the game script here. It's not like you have uh, like two wide receivers on the same offense. Or if they have a bad game, and or if they have a really good game and they get out early, then you're kind of screwed. So I think you're fine. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially for your mental health, if you if you're gonna always be deciding between who to start, especially with the randomness in fantasy football, uh, just let yourself go of the stress. Just start them both. Um, and uh, you know, m moving on to uh, the other happenings of week one. The biggest surprises from the week, and you know, week one always too early to know for sure how a situation is going to pan out. So many times we've already said it's too early to tell. What Cincinnati was said that. Uh, biggest surprises just from week one alone. I'll start. Got to get this off my chest. If y'all read my Fantrax uh, uh, love hates article, you know, back with the series, trying to do a better job this year. Last last year we did a great job at quarterback, great job at wide receiver. Uh, less than ideal at running back and tight end. So I'm trying to I'm trying to do a better job this year at evaluating those positions. Uh, tight end off to a hot start this year. My love of the week, Jordan Akins, uh, zero fantasy points. Uh, on the other hand, Mike Gesicki, my hate. I said against the Patriots, it's a very tough matchup. Zero points. So polar opposite um, performances there. Um, what you know the the Texans to me, I. I I have David Johnson in three leagues for a reason. It's because I think there's value with the volume. He's a capable pass catcher. Brandon Cooks quietly puts up a great season every single year. It doesn't matter what his quarterback situation is. doesn't matter, you know, anything else. He's not just 
a speed demon. And people over the years have often viewed him as a speed demon. I think people are now starting to catch up saying he's not just, he's not a one trick pony. He's going to give you fantasy value. So Brandon Cooks is going to be the number one, uh, you know, no matter what. But I thought there was value in Jordan Akins. He did get a couple red zone targets. Um, didn't catch them. There were contested catches. Uh, it is what it is. But if he scores, which it looked like he had the ability to, I still like him as a deep league waiver wire option, and the zero is not scaring me off of that. If you're going to spend a roster spot on pure upside in case something bad happens to your tight end, I do I do still like Jordan Akins, and that's just my personal view on it. Yeah. So I think the biggest surprise of week one, which we've already alluded to, is Trey Sermon not playing. Like, no one saw that coming. That's crazy. People had him as, like, a decent flex option this week. And then Raheem Mostert gets hurt, and he's on the on the bench. So that's definitely the craziest thing that happened this week, just to take a step back and put that in perspective. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals defense because they looked fantastic on Sunday. Chandler Jones ripped off three first-half sacks and totaled five in the game. That's what happens when you have two future first ballot Hall of Famers at defensive end in uh, Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. Um, the main concern with Arizona was how their secondary would play, but when you have a pass rush that potent, when you have linebackers like Zayvon Collins uh, and Isaiah Simmons who are super hybrid types, who have all the speed to get around on the field, when you have Buda Baker at safety, um, who's a, a big, tough guy, uh, you can really do whatever you need to get uh, to do on defense. So they made the Titans look silly. Um, I think they'll make a lot of teams look silly this year. If you want to pump my own content, pull up my Twitter, uh, read my early week parlay bet for week two, you'll see that the Cardinals are the first lock. I have them uh, laying negative two and a half against uh, the Vikings, I think. I'm like 90% sure that's who they're playing. Um, yeah, that's who they're playing. Um, I think that that's the exact kind of defense you need to stop someone like Dalvin Cook, and I don't think Minnesota's offensive line is good enough to really do anything here. Um, so the Cardinals are going to be a fantastic DST asset if you still play with defenses, which for the record, you shouldn't. Um, uh, so I'm a big fan of that. I think the Cardinals are a great defense this year. They're going to be a matchup nightmare. Um, I know people are like, oh, always start your tight ends against Arizona. I don't know if that's so smart anymore, uh, given the speed they have at linebacker and the size they have at safety. Um, I think it, they're going to cause a lot of problems for teams this year. It looked like from week one that their one vulnerability may be at slot receiver, given how well Chester Rogers looked. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. I still don't really know how to evaluate their weaknesses, but they look fantastic. Now, the counterpoint to that is maybe the Titans are just really bad. Uh, I don't know about that. I think we'll see how things play out. I think that the Titans got thrown off because the pass rush was so good they couldn't run play action, which has been integral to their offense. If you look at the tweets from, I think, Pro Football Focus, they're like, oh, the Titans ran like the most play action last year and suddenly it just disappeared. Well, yeah, that'll happen when you're uh, lining up against JJ Watt and Chandler Jones, you're not going to be able to run a bunch of play action. So I think the Titans bounce back, uh, but Cardinals great defensive asset in leagues with DST uh, matchup nightmare with uh, your offensive players. Yeah. And regardless of how you think of Taylor Lewan, uh he, he did tweet out and he had, it has it pinned right now. Uh, quote, got my ass kicked. No way around that. I let the team and fans down. Thank you at Chandler Jones for exposing me. Will only force me to get better. They, they were in their head. It was very obvious. Uh, the Cardinals, you know, you know, as we move on to the next thing in the, you, you know, in our, in our notes, I said one, uh, one week, simply not enough to, for big overarching takeaways, but please tell me your biggest takeaway from week one. And you can't stress this enough. All you wrote was the Cardinals are scary. 
I'll take a quick detour. NFC West standings. Has your view of the division changed um, after one week? Um, I always thought the Cardinals were a scary team. This entire division is loaded. Um, I think that they're probably – I don't really know how to what, what to say here. Like all these teams could win the division. I wouldn't be surprised if any of them do. I think that they probably have the second best quarterback, which is a hot take because I'm probably putting him above Stafford, um, which I may live to regret, but I think that the rushing upside that he offers, and I don't mean as a fantasy quarterback, I mean as like an actual asset, like in terms of wins above replacement. I think Murray this year takes the next step that we were kind of expecting to take last year, and to some degree he did take last year, and then he got hurt and fell off. Um, So I think we see the first half Cardinals again this year for as long as they can keep things up. Um, especially with that defense. Um, yeah, I'm scared. Cardinals yeah. could be really good. Yeah, I, I the the TODR of it is think of it this way. I have the Cardinals finishing or before in my preseason predictions, I'm pretty sure I had the Cardinals finishing last in the division. But if they win the division, I'm gonna be like, Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising. And the Rams, they might not win the division, and I have them as a Super Bowl contender, and I would not be surprised if they don't win the division. Yeah, um, the Rams are scary too. They look yeah. great against Chicago. Everyone's yeah. scary in the NFC West. And uh, Garoppolo. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, and uh, I guess the final thing we'll talk about week one is, you know, the biggest, like, let's get this off our chest. The big, biggest overarching, uh, you know, week one takeaways. I think once we get to week six, you'll start hearing like definitive statements on the podcast. Like it's been six weeks. Can we stop worrying about X or like, can we start realizing that this person is getting usage, et cetera, et cetera. Week one, not much content, but I just wanted to get this off my chest. And I know, Isaiah, you had a comment on this. Ersmith Jr. gets hurt. Um, obviously, we realize other people's volume goes up a little bit. They're scoring. The chances of being the scorers on the Vikings goes up with the Bengals' defense. My hot take, you know, this this year at Fantrax, we're doing hot takes. One hot take per analyst for each week. And mine was Kirk Cousins, the top three. It, it, they're hot takes for a reason. Kirk Cousins, the top three quarterback this week. Uh, he was my quarterback love of the week. Did indeed put up a good fantasy performance. I started him and was happy. Uh, he he reached my expectations. Um, and the biggest beneficiary, everybody's worrying about, you know, Justin Jefferson is a stud. Rightly so. He is a stud. Um, Adam Thielen. I've been hearing this for years now. Adam Thielen's, you know, he, he always scores way too many touchdowns. Uh, here he is after week one, scored two. I'm not taking a victory lap. He's obviously not even going to score one touchdown every week. He's let alone two. This might be his last two touchdown game of the year. Uh, but I, every year you want Adam Thielen to fall off. I'm not saying you, uh, but the, the people in general want Adam Thielen to fall off a cliff in touchdown production. Uh, I took my victory. It's the only victory lap I took after week one, maybe ever. I, I will not take week one uh, victory laps usually, but when it comes to Adam Thielen, I take it personally. Uh, Two touchdowns a week one. I think it's just a reminder that he's here to stay. Can you can you sell high on him now if you know somebody else is high, uh, desperate at wide receiver? Absolutely, because when he doesn't score a touchdown, he does have a you know not a great floor. Uh, if Justin Jefferson pops off, if Dalvin Cook has one of those games, um, so yes, you can sell high on him a little bit if owners are desperate. But he's here to stay. Don't think that the, that the touchdowns are going to vanish anytime soon. It's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I mean, you did lead off with my note, though. Uh, Irv Smith is hurt. Um, if Irv Smith was healthy, 
you probably would have had a two-touchdown game. I'll just be honest with you. Um, the Vikings got rid of Kyle Rudolph in the offseason. Uh, then Irv Smith goes down, so they have Tyler Conklin at tight end, who isn't bad, but he's need, he's not close to either of the other two in, in skill level. So you're right. I often beat the uh, touchdown regression drum with Adam Thielen, but when Irv Smith went down and I knew that Kyle Rudolph wasn't on the team, and I was like, huh, this regression is probably not going to happen because they just don't have anyone else to throw to in the red zone. That's sick. So I took him in our league in the fifth round. And, oh, look, two touchdowns in his first game. So I think that the narrative that there is some touchdown regression for Adam Thielen isn't overblown. Um, but uh, given the circumstances, um, it makes sense that he's going to be able to sustain this to some extent. I mean, maybe you see defenses adjust in the red zone, um, especially because uh, the Vikings, like I said, no longer have a red zone threat in Irv Smith or Kyle Rudolph. Maybe it'll be easier for teams to adjust and cover Adam Thielen enough in the red zone now. Who knows? Um, I'm not sure. But at least for now, Thielen looks like a solid asset. He is still touchdown dependent for sure. But we also need to see Justin Jefferson do stuff in the red zone because he didn't do it last year. Um, he might have a chance to start doing it this year, but like the we just need the numbers. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Yeah. And the, the final note I'll make make about uh, uh, about week one is you know a lot of focus on who did perform well, who did like move the goalposts in terms of what we're discussing. Uh, you know, if Adam Thielen uh, doesn't do any or doesn't score a touchdown this week, I'm not bringing it up. I'm not taking any victory laps. I'm not talking about him. But what about the guys that uh, didn't light it up, but you still need uh, to keep an eye on? Najee Harris. Uh, you know, a lot of. A lot of complaints about taking Najee Harris that early in the draft because of the offensive line, because of the wide receiver talent there. Turns out uh, there's been there's been research on. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, and I don't think this kind of stuff is accessible much on the internet. But uh, the correlation between how good an offensive line is and fantasy points is lower than you think. Um, it, it is lower than you think in terms of fantasy production, especially in PPR. Um, so Najee Harris's value is still there, but Disappointed in week one, uh, Isaiah. You're 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 making you're making an emoji with your face. So yeah, you're you right. That's, that's what I'm doing here. So if you look at the numbers that have been citing for the whole conversation, uh, DR right. So defensive adjusted yards above replacement. Uh, the worst running back in terms of DR in week one was none other than Najee Harris. So you can't really blame all of that on a defensive matchup or on the offensive line because this is a, a metric that is adjusted based on on those factors. Um, I think that Pittsburgh's offensive line is atrocious. I think that there's a really good chance that Big Ben gets hurt soon um, because of how badly they're blocking. Um, I, I do not think Najee Harris is a viable fantasy asset this year. I think that if you took him in the first round, you probably ended your season early. So, I mean, that's like an aggressively hot take for week one, but I've got to have at least one. I think that Najee Harris disappoints people. Uh, severely he just doesn't have the blocking in front of him to really do much yeah and he yeah, might not I, even be that efficient of a runner either yeah I, I think what what i was what i was trying to get at more was giving the argument of why Najee harris is an okay is an okay pick to have late first round or early second round and i say all of this while avoiding Najee harris in all drafts myself there, there's yeah. a reason for that i thought he was being taken a little too early uh and you know, for for you eye test people, for those that you know don't want to get into the stats, we we have an we have you know we address every audience here. Uh, you could have watched the game and you say he had no room to run. 
he's obviously very talented. Uh, ben also missed him on a few checkdowns. I mean, if that that's going to be a problem. It's why James White, you know, go back to James White. This is why James White's value went down severely with Cam Newton there. If Ben's not going to find Najee Harris on the checkdowns and the offensive line is garbage, you need to be worried. But the one guy I don't want you to be worried about is Antonio Gibson. And one of my bold takes, and, uh, you know, as as I'm talking, I'm going to screen share this for those of you who are still around. Appreciate you for those who are on stream. Uh Antonio Gibson, one of my hot takes of the season. Antonio Gibson uh, finishes as a top five running back, projected PPR uh, running back nine by ESPN. You can view all my you know, all my hot takes there. Um, wow, number eight, dude. What? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll address what? that in a second. Antonio what? Gibson. First of all, first of all, Are you Antonio, okay? First of all, Antonio Gibson. I want to get this off my chest. Uh, no scores in week one, but he got twenty of the twenty-three uh, football team running back uh, running back carries. Four point yards, four point five yards per carry, and of the seven Washington running back targets, he got five of them. The volume is there. This is an elite workload. And now, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down. The football team doesn't have any kind of big name um, anywhere in the vicinity of the stadium, uh, anywhere in the vicinity of their practice field. Uh, if they sign Cam Newton, like great. Um, if they don't. The Antonio Gibson volume has to go up, right? I mean, this is an elite workload already with a capable quarterback. And, you know, some of you will attack me for saying Ryan Fitzpatrick is a capable quarterback, but, you know, he's more capable than any other name in, in well, the I mean, it's quarterback. It's Taylor Heineke now, isn't it? It's it's Taylor Heineke, and, you know, he's, it's, he's a meme and whatnot, but he, I, I think it's safe to say that Ryan Fitzpatrick is more of a passing threat than Taylor Heineke. Uh, so Antonio Gibson, I like him even more after the Ryan Fitzpatrick injury um, it that, and that's, that's just a volume factor. He's, you know, I, I know Terry McLaurin truthers are out there, but to me, Antonio Gibson is the best player on that offense. I, I don't think that's a hot take. Um, the elite workload um, will just go up. So please, if you can buy Antonio Gibson at a reasonable price, do it. Don't be scared off by the fact that the quarterback um, went down and there are fewer scoring opportunities. Uh and yeah, I, I will address these uh, these bold takes that are yeah, on the this right is now. interesting. Uh, you know, ten bold is. I, I've been seeing this trend on on Twitter a lot. I'll address this very quickly. Um, I, I I was bullied into posting ten bold takes um, before the season. So one hour before the season, got back in my hotel room for like fifteen minutes, and I was like, fine. I, I have like eight already in mind, which I've been I've been thinking about a lot over the off season. Fine, I'll add two and I'll post it. Uh, the additions were uh, the the last minute additions were eight and ten. Uh, ten, uh, I, you know, there's a typo here. I included Travis Kelsey as a wide receiver and put six names instead. I originally started as the top five receiving touchdowns, but then added wide receivers. Uh, I guess the most the uh, most bold uh, one in that is Cooper Cup. But if you watch how Stafford was dotting up everybody yesterday, maybe that's not so much of a hot take. But number eight, that's where it gets really spicy. Uh, Big Gio Bernard believer. Uh, I said Gio Bernard leads Tampa Bay in receiving plus with rushing touchdowns. First off, I challenge you to find a hotter take on fantasy football Twitter coming into the season than this. If you find it, I, I want to be friends with that person. Um, but, you know, after week one, maybe feeling less good about it. Uh, really? Simple, really? My, my simple theory to this is twofold. Uh, number one, Ronald Jones is not good. Um, so I, I, 
I, I don't think there's as much competition in the running back room as you think. But number two, uh, Brady, Brady's been dealing with injuries. He got surgery recently. Uh, the QB snakes are going to, yeah, they're, they're, they're in low volume anyway. They're going to go down further. Uh, Chris Godwin, I'm afraid that he has injury issues. Uh, I wasn't expecting Gronkowski to be such a big factor in week one. He's now scored four touchdowns in the last two games, if you're counting the Super Bowl. It pains me, but he continues to produce, and Gronk looks in better shape every year, so I wasn't expecting him to be such a big factor. So in my head, I'm thinking value-wise, the two best value uh, guys you could draft um, in Tampa Bay, uh, Antonio Brown, big day on Thursday, uh, and Giovanni Bernard. Um, and so I had to give some kind of heat. I think Gio Bernard has a legitimate chance to be a touchdown monster this year, um, but I feel less good about it now that I see that Gronk looks great um, and yeah. that he did not get any um, volume, so to speak, um, on Thursday. So I feel less good about it. Yeah, that would have been a good take if the Buccaneers didn't have a great defense because Gio Bernard would have been on the field a lot when they're doing comeback drives. But unfortunately, the Bucs are pretty good on defense, so you're not going to see a whole lot of that. Uh, but you know, Hey, if I, if I hit on, uh, you know, four out of 10 takes, I'll be thrilled. But, and these are, these are intentionally hot. It's the point of the exercise. Yeah. 40% uh, is a passing grade, right? In some places. <laughs> uh, and finally to, to finish off, we'll do a quick preview of week two in future episodes. We'll, I think do a little bit more, uh, paying attention to the upcoming week than the previous, but there's so much to discuss week one draft night, uh, stuff like that. Um, I felt it was necessary. Week two, uh, biggest news. First of all, the, the question all of you are going to ask uh, on Twitter, you know, send me questions. Uh, the, 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 the most common question I've gotten this morning, first of all, is where do I spend my FAAB for wide receiver uh, or for pass catchers? Is it Juwan Johnson, which is a name that it, which is a name that, you know, a lot of people have been high on. I was upset that I didn't draft Juwan Johnson in my 32-team league. 14-teamer, I don't think he's relevant. But in 32-teamer, I, I wanted to draft Juwan Johnson with, like, my last pick or something, and I got sniped on him. Um, but I thought he would be relevant if, you know, if Jameis was going to look at least slightly decent. Uh, is it Tim Patrick or is it KJ Hamler in Denver? And, Isaiah, you have an answer to this. So start us off. Jerry Judy out at least four to six weeks. Um, where is the waiver wire. What is the waiver wire move here? It's Tim Patrick. Just look at the numbers from last year. This isn't hard. This is not rocket science. People like to overthink fantasy football. It's not that hard. Yeah. Tim Patrick had the volume when Cortland Sutton was out last year. Tim Patrick had a lot of efficient performances last year. KJ Hamler is a great boom bust fast guy. Can maybe rip off a touchdown. He'll probably finish ahead of uh, Patrick in points at least a couple weeks while Judy's out. That doesn't matter. Patrick's a great high floor asset. He's a fantastic guy to pick up in PPR. Don't overthink it. If you're in standard, maybe look at a flyer on Hamler. I wouldn't start him, but like he could be a great boomer bust play if you're down bad, uh, which hopefully you aren't. Um, but yeah, it's Tim Patrick and it's not close. Yeah, uh, completely agree. And especially if you're in PPR, you don't want the guy that will either give you one catch for 40 yards or, or you know, zero catches for maybe a touch or one catch and a touchdown or maybe like zero catches and then like one jet sweep for 40 yards. I mean, that's not the guy you want to spend FAB on. If, especially if you're spending, you, you don't want to spend $31 on Latavius Murray. You, you know who you are. Um, 
anyway, uh, the other week two things, uh, you know, waiver wire stud. I, I know you're going to mention Jamal Williams, but we talked a lot about him already. If you, I, we both agree on this. If if Jamal Williams is available, he shouldn't be. So fix that. Uh, games that we want to keep an eye on uh, in Chicago, Cincinnati. I'll address this first because I also want to keep an eye on this game. Uh, Joe Mixon Truther has been in my DMs for years now. Um, and you mentioned you could maybe sell a high on him. Uh, you mentioned he got uh, over 100 yards against a bad defensive line in week one. And uh, yeah, so what's what's what are you keeping an eye on um, with Joe Mixon is – do you expect him to repeat the perform this kind of performance? Uh, I think I know your answer to this, but go ahead. Give me the rundown on yeah. Joe Mixon. Talk to the talk to the truthers. Um, so I'm trying to see if I can find it. I don't know if I can. I got an email last year after like week three, after I had Joe Mixon in as like a, a fade um for the rest of the season because of how bad Cincinnati's offensive line looked. Um, I had some dude email me. He was like, You don't know what you're talking about for saying Joe Mixon's a fade. He's gonna be great. And I'm just like, why is this the hill you're gonna die on, dude? Like, Joe Mixon could be the best running back in the world. If Cincinnati's offensive line can't play well, it doesn't matter. They looked great against the Vikings at clearing opportunities for him. That's fantastic news. However, the Vikings ranked 32nd in uh, adjusted line yards for the defense last year. So who knows if this is going to be a representative sample. It could be. If he looks good against the Bears, then maybe the narrative is starting to change on Joe Mixon. That's great. I'm glad. The dude is a talented running back. Um off-field issues aside, that's good news for him. Um, but I think we need to wait and see here. Don't go chalking him up for a huge game against the Bears just because he looked good against the Vikings. Like, we need to sit and let this one not uh, play out. And the other game that I'm really curious about, um, I may have alluded to this earlier, uh, is Tennessee versus Seattle. Because Tennessee looked terrible. There is no way around that. They just could not move the ball. Fitzpatrick took six sacks. Taylor Luan got mauled. Uh, they didn't have play action. Derrick Henry got, I think at one point he was 10 for nine yards. Like, it was awful. Um, the question is, will it continue to be awful? Or uh, are the Cardinals just very good? And I think I've made it very clear that I feel one kind of way about the Cardinals. So it's a great – the Seattle matchup is a great chance for Tennessee to bounce back. Um, Seattle has one of the smallest perimeter corners in the league in DJ Reed. Uh, he is five foot nine. That means he'll be lining up against either a six foot three Julio or a six foot one bulky AJ Brown. Um, those are some mismatches. Uh, Tannehill was great at the deep ball uh, last season. Uh, the Seahawks were one of the worst teams against the pass. Obviously, they improved over the course of the year. It was incredibly ridiculous how bad they were against the pass in the front half, which sort of diluted the whole season-long stats for them. Um, they ended up giving up the second-most fantasy points to or receiving yards uh, to wide receivers or the second-most fantasy points to quarterbacks, something like that. Um, it's a great bounce-back spot for the Titans. They need it really badly. I have uh, Tannehill and Julio stacks in a couple leagues, um, and I am worried after week two if this doesn't, fix itself uh i'm not worried about seattle's uh defense even though they look pretty good against the colts because who do the colts have at wide receiver again uh pitman pascal and campbell none of them are threatening none of them are the same calibers of receiver as uh your aj brown or julio jones uh if you have a bunch of titans on your roster other than derrick henry i probably would still start derrick henry for sure because he's derrick henry 
Um, but if you have Brown, Julio, Tannehill, start them with confidence this week. You need to worry if they don't play well against the Seahawks. But I think the Cardinals are just really good, and I think the Titans will bounce back. And I hope that I don't live to regret this take. Yeah. And I guess I'll mention two games. You mentioned uh, uh, Rams-Colts, uh, or you mentioned the Colts already. Uh, but I'll, I'll, say, I'll make a quick note about Rams-Colts. Uh, if Carson Wentz has a big game against the Rams defense, um, you might not hear from me for a few days. Uh, I'll, I'll just say that. Um, I'm benching every coat uh, except Jonathan Taylor uh, because Jonathan Taylor is my first-round pick in the one league that I have him. And should I pull off a Zeke uh, that y- you did last week and not start him? Uh, probably not because I have no no depth at running back in that league. But the fact that I'm even considering it uh, tells you what, it, what uh, you need to know about how I feel about that game. Um, the, the other two games that I'll mention, Falcons-Bucks uh, on Sunday. Um, last season, uh, Falcons come out to a huge lead. So so that game, um, I think it was one of the few Bucks games that I actually bet on, and I bet uh, the, the, that the uh, the Falcons would win the first half and the Bucks would win the game. It was one of my strangest bets of the year. <laughs> the Falcons uh, were up 17-0 at halftime, and the Bucks won the game. Um I'll pimp that for as long as, as I want to because I think people were hyping up the Falcons a lot against the Bucks. Antonio Brown was relatively new to, to the system at that time. Uh, but I want to see how that pans out because Leonard Fournette in that game had two touchdowns. Um, no Ronald Jones in that game. Uh, Mike Evans had a big game even with no touchdowns. I think he uh, went six receptions, 110 yards, something like that. Uh, Chris Godwin, not much production, but then scores a touchdown to, to salvage his fantasy day. And now Gronk is in the mix. So I think that game will tell a lot about um, the Bucks going forward. Um, and I think Mike Evans is going to have a huge game. You saw uh, one of Brady's latest Instagram posts. He mentions Mike Evans and just says, my brother, as kind of like a leadership like reminder that like even though he didn't produce that much for his standards in game one, he's still the man. Uh, so I think we see a big Mike Evans game. But also, my sleeper offensive rookie of the year, uh, Kyle Pitts. I need him to have a big game. I don't own him in any leagues. Uh, but that's a property of TJ Hawkinson, not a property of how I feel about Kyle Pitts' talent. So if he doesn't produce against the Tampa Bay Bucks, playing from behind, which I'm very confident they will, uh, then you start to worry. So we need to keep an eye on that. And then the other game I will mention, uh, you just have to – it's fantasy football. you got to mention the the types of games that you might see a 40-43 to 43 score on, and that's Chiefs-Ravens. Uh, Isaiah, you're the Ravens fan, so I'll let you have the final comment on this. As somebody who won a pick and pool last night for week one because of the Raiders covering, uh, there's a reason. There's a reason I was feeling optimistic about the Raiders last night, and it's Marcus Peters. It's not Tyson Williams being the starting running back. You know, running backs don't matter. You know, you can interpret that the way you want. It's Marcus Peters, and it's the fact that uh, you have offensive tackle issues. And the Chiefs, Ravens, both electric offenses. Do I think the Ravens have a chance to win even with those deficiencies? Absolutely. I had the Browns covering against the Chiefs. I think they have a chance to win, but it's going to have to be in a shootout. So what does that mean for fantasy football owners? I need to see Odell healthy. And if the Ravens are going to get burned multiple times by Brian Edwards, by uh, obviously Darren Waller, but that goes without saying he's going to burn a lot of people, and by Zay Jones to finish the game, I need to see Odell burning somebody um, in in that game. Uh, So I hope he's healthy because I'm starting him in the one league that I have him. No matter what, as long as he is in the game, I'm starting him. There's no question about it. 
because he has a chance to have one of those games like he did against the Cowboys last year, two touchdowns kind of game. So I'm keeping an eye on so, so you want my take on the Ravens-Chiefs game to circle back to that? I, I, I think that's a good way to walk off considering yeah. the Ravens might be um, going to. Yeah, the Ravens are bad. Um, I think the Ravens are bad. It's tough. We don't have Marcus Peters. Uh, we didn't have Jimmy Smith last night. It was pretty obvious that we were without two of our best cornerbacks uh, on the field. Um, it's pretty obvious that our lead running backs are some dude you didn't hear about until everyone died on our roster and the dude who got cut from the Saints less than a month ago. Like, this is not a good team. Like, Lamar Jackson, I love the guy, but he is contingent. His success is contingent upon his ability to run, and if the offensive line isn't going to gash holes, then he isn't going to be as successful. Um, like when I say the Ravens are bad, I don't mean that we're going to have a losing record or anything, but uh, the Ravens aren't the team that everyone who the Ravens aren't the team we were supposed to be coming into this season is what I'll say. Right. Because if we have Peters, if we have Dobbins, if we have Gus Edwards, I still think that we're a Super Bowl contender. Um, we don't have any of them. And we are a fringe playoff team now. Uh, especially with uh, the Browns and the Steelers in the division, which is painful to say. Um, but yeah, I uh, would sell um, my shares of Ravens players at this point. Not Lamar, probably not, but like Tyson Williams. Uh, yeah, you got him for cheap. You can keep him. He's a decent flex play. Obviously, you shouldn't have taken any of Baltimore's receivers. I don't know why anyone would ever do that. Um, Ravens DST. I mean, we'll be solid, but we're not going to be the greatest option. Like, it's tough, but that's just the way it is. You know, he's got to move on. Yeah. As, as somebody who does own Marquise Brown in one league, I did trade for him. I got a good package for him. I trade for Marquise Brown in one league, uh, mostly for the Raiders matchup, and then I didn't start him because I had Jerry Judy. Like, I, 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 I don't really, I don't really know why I did that, but I, I think he's more of an upside play just in case something bad happens to Jerry Judy, which it did, so – you know, it's going to be an interesting situation to watch. Uh, I, I still think I, – I made this tweet last night. I still think Lamar Jackson is underrated, which seems weird to say about an MVP. He is underrated. He deserves better. Yes, he shouldn't have fumbled multiple times last night, uh, but he's still really good. And in the one league that I do have him, I, I am keeping him just because maybe being bad will mean that they play in shootouts more. They play from behind a little bit more, uh, and he has to pass more. Um do you want him passing though? But but do I want him passing is the question. And like, not in the not rain a typical against New England. Not not in yeah. the rain against New England. But you know, in yeah. Other situations. I mean, I got a text last night in the first half that was Lamar's going to win another MVP, and I responded, "Lol, no." And then the dude hit me up in the second half. He was like, "Oh, you right?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. I I think I only mentioned the passing volume just because uh, you know. If you own Lamar in the league that I own, Lamar, I also own Tyson Williams. So that's it's, it's another conversation. Wow, but, that's. But and it, it worked out for me this week. Everything was okay, but maybe that'll change in the future. I, only reason I mentioned the passing volume is, uh, if they are playing from behind, maybe it's a little less like, who do we pick here, Tyson? Like, who do we cover here, Tyson Williams or is it Lamar? And we have a little more less of that, and more like Lamar is going to pass kind of situations, but. Um, Lamar's a good fancy asset no matter what, I, but the, the Ravens have work to do on their roster, uh, given the injuries. Uh, a sad note to end the podcast on, but you know we covered most of the fancy-relevant news uh, and a lot of draft night review and stuff. Isaiah, as always, appreciate you for being on. Uh, 
dropping dropping the uh, the most relevant stats, simplifying the whole FAB game for us. Stop overthinking Denver, all that good stuff. Appreciate you for being on. Of course, thanks for having me, Han.